Hello, and a very warm welcome to Agape Fellowship. Here we learn the Word of God verse by verse. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, where we are studying the temptation of Jesus. In the previous episode, we saw how Satan sets a trap, quoting from scriptures, and how Jesus perceived the intentions and responds accordingly. Let's continue with the next and final temptation as we continue from verse 8. Pray that you will be blessed. Let's move on to the next one, the final one, uh, starting at verse 8 of chapter 4. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Notice some very interesting things. This I had shared during the study in the book of Ruth. But notice again what Satan says. Do you notice? Did you see something very interesting here in uh, verse 9? All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Very interesting portion. What is he talking about? Let me paraphrase this. When we were created in God's image and put on the earth, God gave us this as our dominion. Then he said, here's what in uh, Genesis 1, 28, it goes, Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. God gave Adam and Eve and their children dominion over earth. In other words, it was his possession. He said, hey, take care of it. That's yours. You manage. You've been made the boss. But notice when Satan says this, he says, I have all these and I will give it to you. When did this happen? When did Satan get this kingdom? Please go ahead, Bala. After the sin of Yes. When they fell. When Adam and Eve obeyed Satan, when they fell, and gave up on God and took up Satan's water to carry his water for him. Immediately. The rights, the deeds, the entire dominion that they had got transferred over to Christ Jesus. I mean to Satan. Let's read Romans 6.16, shall we? Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Notice, we become the slave. 
Adam and Eve became slaves to Satan. And everything that was his, Adam's and Eve's, theirs, became Satan's. How do I know this? Well, first of all, Satan himself says, look, I have all of this. Legally, it was transferred to him. He became a and Adam and Eve became slaves. If you fast forward all the way to Revelations 5, you will see a scenario where it plays out where we are brought into the throne room and there's a cry, who is worthy to receive the scrolls and open its seals? And John starts to cry, saying there's no one worthy to receive the scroll and open its seals. Then a voice cries out and says, no, there is one. He's of the lion, of, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when John turns around, he says, it was as if the lamb was been slain. That is a vision that John saw and noted for us in Revelation 5. What is that scroll? That scroll is the deed to all of Adam's possessions that was lost. And this is why the book of Ruth is very important. And this is why Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. If I cannot buy back my scroll, my deed, add as me as a child of Adam, if I cannot buy back my deed because of poverty and because of slavery, then a kinsman redeemer can, who is rich and wealthy and desiring of doing something for me, can buy that seal and redeem it for me and return it to me if he so wishes. That's, that's that particular event that takes place. And it will not make sense unless you understand these two points. And so Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb that was as if he were slain, receives the scrolls and opens the seals. And then a choir in heaven says, he's worthy to open this, receive the scroll and open the seals. For he's redeemed us from all tribes, tongues, nations, language, and da, 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 it goes on. He's redeemed us by his blood. You can go in and read Revelation 5. Now here, this is before that event. Satan has it. And Jesus has come to take that, that possession back and to save us. I fast forward to Revelation 5 to tell you, you know, sometimes when we get a nice book, I'd like to read the last chapter, sneak preview in a spoiler. And that's my spoiler. Um, so we don't have to panic. It's already been sealed. It's, the story has been said for us already, so we don't have to panic. I just opened the last book, the last chapter. Oh, worthy is the lamb. He took my scroll and he's got it. But this is before that. This is at the beginning, chapter one. And so Satan is standing there. Look, just worship me and I'll give you. Why do you have to go through all of this hassle? In Luke, the same portion is read this way. Um, that the devil said, all this authority I'll give to you. And their glory that has been delivered to me, I'll give to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, I'll give it to you. That's the Luke 
gospel saying that. The Holy Spirit through Luke tells us that this is what he had. He had all authority, all dominion. Everything was his. And so Satan was, no longer, mind you, was the possessor of the property when Jesus showed up. And so Jesus has come to redeem us. And what Satan is offering here is a quick, easy way out. All Jesus had to do was to bow the knee, worship him for a second, and he got the material, he got everything. You know, he, he can do whatever he wants with the possession, but he wouldn't do it. You know why? Because, yes, he was not interested in the possession, the earth. He was interested in redeeming man, the children of Adam. And that was not what Satan wanted to offer. Satan wanted to give the property and everything else. There is a portion in the scriptures, and we'll come to that in Matthew, um, I think, 17 or so. It says, kingdom of heaven is like that man who found treasure in the field. When he saw that treasure in the field, he took all of his possessions, gave all of his possessions by the field so that he might gain that treasure. You remember that portion? That portion, who is that treasure? Anybody? Who is that treasure? Is it earth? No. It is you and I. Children of Adam. That's the treasure. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God can make terra firma. He can take another rock and create earth out of it again. From anywhere. He can take Jupiter and then make it into terra firma. Beautiful earth and give it to us and say here. But there's only one you, one me. One every one of us, one of each of us. Yeah, his, his purpose, uh, John, according to John the Baptist, was behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And so what Satan offers him is not uh, his purpose. So I don't know if that was that great a temptation to him because, <laughs> hey, I want this. <laughs> I want something else. That's right. Good point. Excellent point. Um, Satan yeah. missed it on this one. Would you say, Nels? He, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't going to fall for this one. No, but I think to take it a little further, I think yes, Rich. what he was, you know, one of the things he was saying was, you don't have to go to the cross to get your inheritance. I'll, I'll give it to you right now, right? Yeah. All you have to do is worship me. Yeah. Um, which, you know, when you think about it, Later, sometime later, when Jesus is telling the disciples that uh, he, he's going to have to suffer and die, Peter turns around and says, that's never going to happen to you. Right. Of course, get me behind me, Satan. By saying, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter was doing exactly what Satan was doing, saying, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to redeem. Yeah. Redeem people. But that was not the reason he came. He came to redeem us. Nil, two quick points. Go ahead, Jim. Uh, go ahead, Mr. Steve. One, um, I'm reminded in the temptation of Christ of the 
uh, time later on when Jesus says, he's talking about authority, and he says, does the clay say to the potter, uh, and you know, you should do this, or you should make me that way. Why'd you make me this way? Yeah. But say, Jesus was the creator. Mm. He created the word, the world. Yeah. Uh, the word was moving over the over the waters, and like a brooding hen. Mm. So Satan is telling the creator, "I can give you all the stuff that you created." <laughs> yeah. I mean, is that yes. stupid, or is how stupid? Now the other question is, on the on what you said a few a little bit ago, um, do you believe that Satan is still the prince of this principality? That Satan is until he is vanquished, and at the end, uh, we we hear about it in Revelation, thrown into the the lake of fire, um, and Christ establishes the new the new earth and the new heavens, the new Jerusalem, if you will. Do you. Do you believe he's, Satan is still in charge here on, in, and owner, in a sense, ownership? Yes. Until so, yes, yes. So let me explain that. We have the purchased purchase of Christ seal on our back, but we are sitting in the parking lot that belongs, that Satan still has an access to. Um, think of, uh, you know, God has put a down payment. The Holy Spirit is our down payment. We, we understand that. When we believe, we get the down payment. It says purchase of Christ. Sold. In, a, in this case, it'll say purchased. Christ Jesus. We have that. However, we're still being buffeted. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says that whose mind, uh, whose mind the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe. So there are many amongst us, not here but in, in the world that are still blinded, that have been influenced by Satan. So Satan has still got a grip on the world, even though the day of redemption, the day on which he will take what has been redeemed. So let me put it this way. The day of redemption has passed. In other words, he has redeemed us. But the day of his taking back his possession is yet to come. He's taking it back. He's going to take it back until then. Satan wants to do everything possible not to get let go of it and to take with him as many as possible. He knows where he's going. And he knows that his time is coming to an end. Remember when the demons in that uh, person in, uh, in the Gadarenes, the hundred uh, demons, and the one that went into the pigs and died, the pigs all jumped off the cliff. What did he say? Oh, we know you're the son of God. Why are you here to... Uh, What's the word? I, uh, I don't remember exactly how it was said, but basically, Pesterous. what's that? Pesterous or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, he says, your time is not yet. So they know their time is coming. But we should know it even better than they do that we are a purchase of Christ and that we are in his possession and that we've been given the all the authority that God has granted us to keep ourselves in his presence and walk in his ways. And the Holy Spirit is with us. But doesn't now, the New Testament talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil? So if, if the devil still owned the world, why, why is that separated? So the, he is still here. I mean, it is, he has, as I mentioned earlier, God hasn't claimed that which he has bought with his blood. Oh, okay. 
hasn't claimed it. We've been claimed. Yet we are buffeted on all sides. And that in his providential will and his great plan, he's allowed it. Now, why could, why, and this is what you're asking is exactly what the disciples asked him. Are you now going to restore the kingdom? <laughs> so Nels is asking the same question. Are you now going to restore the kingdom? Um, and Jesus said, hey, it's not for you to know. Only the Father knows. Yeah, Ephesians 6 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers of authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness so that is correct. satan still has authority still yes he's still buffeting us from every side and uh, he cannot steal us away from god however he will try everything to cause us to slip and so we have to be careful and walk diligently and persevere in our faith that we don't slip we don't know what all things we the world is stuck in they use all kinds of weird things but we as believers are called to stay away from there and as um, brother rich just uh, mentioned as uh, you know is reminded you know we are not fighting against uh, flesh and blood but against powers and principalities so he says put on the whole armor of god he doesn't say Okay, that's not what, you know, this is where, and so be scared is not what he's saying. But it, that portion continues down to say, put on the whole armor of God. Satan, there's a flaw in Satan that is very clearly marked here that I don't know if you caught on to it. Satan got everything that he wanted, but there was something that is still lacking in him. You know what it is? Recognition and worship from God. Recognition and worship. In Isaiah 14, he says, this whole, his thing was, I will come, I will be like, so that I would be uh, like God. That is his ambition. In other words, he wants worship and attention and recognition. He was willing to give all of what he had, they had stolen from Adam, give it all up, if he got that. Why do I say it's a chink in the armor? It's a chink in the armor of every unbeliever. Every unbeliever has this chink in the armor that you can be sure there's something broken about them, something completely desiring of God's love. Uh, I think it's Blaise Pascal who said there's a God-sized vacuum in the unbeliever I may be paraphrasing someone may know exactly what he said but there's a God-shaped vacuum in the Bible Eden. says God has placed eternity in hearts men that is God size <laughs> yes that is true <laughs> that's God sized eternity yes he has placed eternity in man's heart so there's this craving for every every non-believer to fill that and they're trying to fill it with all kinds of things the unbeliever that has not heard of the gospel 
poor soul is dying because he wants, there is this thing that he wants, he cannot have it, he does not know where it is, so he's filling it with drugs and all kinds of stuff, hoping that it will satisfy him. Nothing has satisfied Satan. Nothing will satisfy, if we don't, if we don't have God as our center, if nothing that we put in its place will satisfy us either, by the way. It's a principle. It's a principle just as gravity is, and just as every other scientific principle you can think of. It's a principle. All principles come from God. Some are physical, some are spiritual, but they're all principles. And one of the principles is there's a God-sent, God-shaped, God-sized vacuum in every creation every human being and that can only be filled by him and so here is satan craving that and willing to give it up and so would his believers his disciples whatever you can call them the unbelievers so understand that when we see others when we go in for mission work and when we see people suffering when we see people angry, when we see other things, and even amongst us when we see something, you know, don't, don't think automatically that's an evil person. It's called an attributional error. This is a word that I learned recently. Um, it's called attribution error. We are attributing it to the wrong reason. Sometimes we look at and say, what a wicked person, this, that, and other. Have you considered the fact that there's a vacuum in him and he's filling with all things and he's still not getting it filled and so he's angry and upset. All these things going on with him and all he needs is to be introduced to the Savior who can fill that hole. And so we must have that heart of compassion. And we must soften. We should ask the Lord about to soften our hearts. So that we might, when we see someone lashing out, and this is what Jesus did. This is our master's moment. This is what the master did. He hung on the cross and he looked down and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Really, they did not know what they're doing. They're trying to fill it with all kinds of stuff and this is the best they could do. They don't even know why they're doing what they're doing. So, to close out tonight, this must be a prayer for all of us to say, God, give us eyes like your eyes. Help us to see the world from your end. There's so much that we have to pray for based on just these two temptations. But give me a heart that's as compassionate. Give me an eyes that is yours. Help me to see the way that you see the world. I'm not saying that you must be the punching bag. Believe me, I'm not that you want to be the punching bag, but you must have, we must have that heart of compassion. We must understand this is called attributional error. Many times we attribute wrong things because we assume certain things. Attribution error. We are attributing the wrong reason for hatred, for anger, for every other thing. And we must ask the Lord to show us, give me your vision, your view, how you see the world, so we might become your instruments. Let's wrap up on this, uh, on the temptation. So there's so much more. However, I've just given a gist of different things that we have, we can learn from a master, from our elder brother, Jesus, uh, how he saw these things. 
and we will learn more as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. We will learn more uh, on how he dealt with and we will learn lessons from his life so that we might become an image of him. Our behavior might be Christ-like. We are far from there. But the reason we're going through a revisit of the gospel is to learn from the master. Look at how he responded to different things so that we might also respond likewise. Uh, let me just finish reading this. There's a little bit more. Then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Now, the angels could, by the way, have interfered, could have, they were all standing back waiting for Jesus' command to say, hold me up. They'd be right there. Or he could have done anything and they would have, king of the universe, what are they going to do? Say no. Uh, but after they allowed it, they permitted this uh, so that Jesus would, as God and man, that he would walk in obedience and he would succeed where Israel had failed. Now when Jesus heard, this is verse 12, now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. To Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen the great light, and upon who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and say the repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand very quickly prior to jesus leaving departing to galilee where was he he was in judea that's this you know near bethlehem that region southern region and that's where john was baptizing remember bethabara remember bethany that's where he was baptizing people that's where jesus was baptized so all of those things happened down in the south there's also you know the wedding in cana and um, that also happened down there so all those events took place over there and then after john is prison he jesus goes up into galilee he was originally jesus was originally from nazareth but why doesn't he not stay in nazareth there's an event that is recorded for us in the book of luke where he goes into the synagogue if you remember and the isaiah scroll is given to him and he speaks about the mandate you remember that portion Right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to, to, to preach salvation, that portion. After that, he leaves Nazareth. That synagogue was in near the region of Nazareth. After that, he comes south a little bit towards the region of Capernaum. Now, if you look at the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, it, the Capernaum is on the northern edge of it. So it'd be a good idea if you went to map and just take a look at this because it's very interesting. I want this to be, as we go through the gospel, I want it not only be a study in scriptures and of God's word and his inspirations, but also I want it to be an education for us. So look in the map and trace your way. Look at where Zebulun and Naphtali is. Look at where Capernaum is. So that you understand where they are. And I want this to be an exercise so that you can understand historically where those locations were. Now let's read on um, 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon and Pe Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, uh, for they were fishermen. 
Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed them. Now, is it, did he go off to the wilderness before or after the wedding of Canaan? Good question. It's probably before. Because right after he begins his ministry. I yeah. don't know exactly where, so I have to look. Uh, I, I believe it's before. Before he begins his ministry. Um, so um, it's after that that he goes to. So I don't know where this wilderness is. We just know it's wilderness, right? Uh, Nels, you're thinking, where is this wilderness? Did he travel that far, right? That's what's on your mind. I, I, I had the same thought. Because he's coming back and he's, he's finding John and, uh, you know, it's not like he's coming up to strangers because he, he met them when he met John the Baptist, right? That is correct. So I was going to say exactly that. Um, this is not the first time. If we read this portion, we think, wait a minute, he just picked up two strangers? That's not the case. Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist. Peter, probably not, because he was too busy fishing. But Andrew, maybe a more devout guy, was a disciple of John the Baptist. And so how they got there from Capernaum, those are all good questions. We don't know. But somehow they were. And Andrew was in the Judean region. And that's where they saw Jesus. Maybe Bethabra or Bethany, as it's otherwise called. Um, and then... Andrew tells Peter, hey, I met the Messiah. And that's how Peter gets to know. So there's a lot of story that's behind the scene, but Matthew just, you know, hits it straight there and says, hey, he called all these fellows. Well, Bethany is next to Jerusalem, isn't it? It wasn't that where Mark Yes, it is. It's uh, uh, close to there Jerusalem. Are two, there are yeah. two Bethanies. One is close to Jerusalem, and the other one is in Jordan, modern-day Jordan. Oh, oh I didn't know that. On the east of the River Jordan, there's another Bethany. That's where the traditional bathings and baptisms occurred. So they have these oh. uh, ritual bathings and baptisms that occur in these places. So in referring to Bethany, uh, where John baptized, it very specifically says in the Bible, at uh, Bethany beyond the Jordan. Oh, okay. So when we think about these portions, we think that, oh, they, uh, you know, they... He just picked up people, but that's not the case. I'm going to continue so we can wrap this chapter up. Chapter, uh, verse 23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments. And those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, from Jerusalem, from Judea, and beyond the Jordan. By the way, when you read this portion, starting in verse 23, Matthew is summarizing his ministry. So don't think that this all happened in two days. Okay, this is a summary statement before 
he launches into the rest of the ministry, starting next chapter is when he actually starts to teach. The devil tries to trap us in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He tried that unsuccessfully with Jesus, too. Jesus, who overcame the temptations, is our redeemer and delivers us from the traps of the devil. God considers us treasure, the crown piece of creation. Only God can fill the desires and longings of our hearts. He gives us strength to face our trials and tests. God's work can transform us into new people more like Jesus. Thank you for listening. Do join us next time. Goodbye.